Okay. Well, hey, y'all. I think we're going to go ahead and get started. Happy New Year. So glad everyone's here. Um, yeah, I'm just thrilled to see so many faces that I haven't seen in a while and some new faces. And so I'm sorry that I'm kind of at an angle here. Uh, welcome, everyone, on Periscope. Welcome to Establish Her via Technology. Um, we all love y'all. We're here in Atlanta. It's freezing, so all you LA people, we hate you. Um, I'm just kidding. We love you, Kaylin and Heidi and Lindsay and all you guys. But, um, but yeah, it's finally feeling like Christmas here and New Year's, which we, we enjoy. Um, so we're just, yeah, I'm excited to start the new year with the Lord and coming off the holidays and Passion Conference. Uh, it's a conference that um, our church does here in Atlanta for about 40,000 people. So I'm just kind of riding a high. I'm sure a lot of people are that, that went to that. So um, I could not think of a better place to be than here tonight with y'all. So we're just going to invite the Spirit to do what the Spirit's going to do. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some, some concepts tonight. We're not going to go super verse by verse into Hebrews. We're going to pick that up. That's the book that we're studying and established her, but God's just been stirring in my heart um, two words in particular that I just wanted to break apart tonight, and we'll just look at a bunch of different scripture like we normally do. So let me pray for us, and then we'll just dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you are very involved in all of our lives. At whatever stage they're in, um, whether we are just moving here, whether we've been here and uh, we just want something different. God, I pray that you would speak directly into the hearts and the stories that are represented in this room, that are represented on the phone through technology. You are a God that's that big, and you can speak that personally to all of us in this room, even to me. And so I pray that you would speak through me, um, but that you would also speak to me, and that you would just stir within us um, a resolve tonight as we begin a new year, and um, that it wouldn't be as much resolution-focused as it would be resolved-focused. And so would you just speak in power, Lord, make your word come alive. I don't have words of life. I'm very well aware of that, um, but you do. And so I just trust that you are going to speak words of life to every single woman listening, wherever they're listening from, and at whatever place they're listening from, in their heart and in their journey with you. So we trust you. We honor you, Jesus, as the King of Kings. It's in your name. Amen. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been an incredible last month, actually, of Establisher. And before we dive too much into these two words, um, I kind of just want to hop back. I'm wearing this shirt. A lot of you actually are wearing this shirt. Um, I can't take it off. I, I love this shirt. I sleep in it all the time. Um, yeah, it's amazing. So this is our retreat shirt. And I know I'm going to put people on the spot for those that know me. I do this all the time. So y'all be glad you're not here. Um, but I would just love really short, a couple of y'all that came to the winter retreat a month ago. Today's January 4th. It was exactly a month ago up in North Carolina. We had 52 women packing out this beautiful place where the spirit of God just descended for a weekend. And it was all about rest, entering the rest of God out of Hebrews chapter 4. And um, so I would just love kind of spontaneously if to share the power of that weekend for you in just a couple minutes as before we dive in to kind of what's going on. Any of y'all want to share? Anybody? Well, I think my aha was when you said that God is doing everything out of a place of rest. That was just mm -hmm. like light bulbs went off mm -hmm. for me. I was like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and Mm -hmm. and, you know, I've shared that with a lot of people since then, mm. and it has profoundly impacted them yeah. as well as me. I meditate on that. Yeah. And, of course, I've put on Facebook quite a few times. I have implemented the now I lay me down, down to sleep. sleep. Yes. <laughs> That's I, awesome, I mean, Joy. It really has calmed mm -hmm. my spirit mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's such a simple, you know. Simple prayer, but prayer. very profound. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, she's mentioning a, a kind of this re revelation that the Lord gave me that we aren't just made in his image to work. We were made to work the land, as he said to Adam, but we were also made in the image of rest. And he rested, and out of that place, he creates. And so what a privilege it is to be made in the image of a God that isn't 
um, hasty and demanding of a lot, but he's a God who is at rest himself. And so he would call us and make us in his image of rest. And out of that, we actually produce more than we ever could imagine. Um, anybody else got any thoughts from the retreat? I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and that we had mentioned, you know, he doesn't rest from exhaustion, as we do. He rests from enjoyment. He's just taking it in, just enjoying his work, us being the crowning jewel of that, obviously. Um, And so I think even as we enter into a new year, there's a lot of amped up excitement about a new year, if you look at it that way, but you can also think about it from ending a year and feel a little exhausted. You know, so if you look backwards, it's like a whirlwind and 2015's over and, oh my goodness, all that he did was amazing, but you almost have to catch your breath again. And so I think, you know, it's interesting because I've been reflecting on on rest. I can't ever get off of it. I think it's just a posture of life, honestly, more than it is a a topic to to talk about. But um, rest and resolutions don't work. And we're in the season, right, with the new year that you make a resolution. It's kind of an action that you do. And um, I think he wants to say something a little different tonight. And at least for me, he's been stirring, um, he's been stirring a couple different words, son and servant. Just these two words, these two ideas. They're pretty large. They're all throughout the scripture. They're, they are found in Hebrews, which were the book that we're in. Um, but I kind of want to take it from a different angle. Because when I think of rest, I don't think of a resolution. I think of a spirit of resolve, right? A spirit that's calm and firm and immovable. Um, And that's the farthest thing from making a promise to myself that I'm probably gonna break in three months. (laughs) Called a resolution, right? (laughs) And so, and and, you know what? We all have goals, we all, whatever, wanna lose weight. That's part of it, I get that, but I think there's something bigger in the spiritual realm to begin a new year that I want us to focus on. And if we're not careful, we can get lost in one of those two words that I'm going to talk about tonight and actually shortcut our journey with the Lord that I believe he has for us this year. So a um, couple questions to start out just to get y'all thinking. Are you resolved in your spirit about who you are, not just what you're going to do this year? So resolutions have the idea about what, right? What are you going to do? What are you going to aim for? What are the goals you're going to reach? You know, how many pounds do you want to lose? What are the races you want to run? Blah, 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 right? And we can have a sense of confidence and resolve about that, but are you just as resolved about what you're going to do as you are about who you are? I think a lot of people can start a new year and still be very clueless on who they are. And they can have a whole checklist of I want to do this or maybe I even want to become this because I don't know who they are, right? And it, it's like this, this shift in their, in their thinking from, man, what if I took 2016 and gave God space to focus on who I am more than what I do? And out of who I am, I'm going to do a lot this year, of course, and goals are great. Reach for them. But we're going to talk about how you reach from them and the place at which you reach from them is different. Question two, what if we could start this year convinced and resolved, confident about the state of our being more than that's ahead? What if we could start this year convinced and resolved, confident about our state of being Right where you are, who you are, how you've been made, how you look, your temperament, your personality, your gifts, your talents, your failures, your weaknesses. What if, because of what we're going to talk about tonight, that you can celebrate that and be confident about it as you kind of head into 2016 
and not be trying to recreate who you are out of a dissatisfaction of who you've been. Does that make sense? Um, so I want to focus on being. And these two words, son and servant, which one do you think connects to the word being? Son or servant? Son. So obviously we have women in this room, and I would assume we have all women. My husband might be on there watching me. But for the sake of this evening, I'm going to use the word son. It's, it's interchangeable with daughter, but I'm a literary nerd, and I want to use an S because son and servant are two S's. So, um, so son, the idea of sonship has being all wrapped in it. The idea of service has doing all wrapped in it, right? Pretty clear, neither one of them are bad. Neither one of them are necessarily better than the other, but they are different. And I think there is an emphasis that God does put on one more than he does the other. And if you don't get the one right, if you don't have the understanding of sonship, then your service will be amiss. So we're gonna kind of look at these two words, and we're going to do it with two characters of the scripture, Joshua and Moses. And both of them are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 3. And so we actually glazed over this months ago when we were studying Hebrews chapter 3. Um, but Joshua, 28 times in Deuteronomy, Numbers, Exodus, Hebrews, all throughout the scripture where he's mentioned, 28 times when his name is mentioned, there's a comma and a quality to who he is. Joshua, comma, the son of Nun. 36 times throughout the scripture, when Moses is mentioned, he also has a quality. So Moses, comma, the servant of the Lord. Both are amazing attributes for sure, but they're different. So we're going to kind of dissect this a little bit. So turn with me to Joshua. Um, well, actually, let's do Deuteronomy. Let's, let's look at Moses first. Deuteronomy 34. Because y'all know Joshua and Moses were very connected. Joshua was his aide, his apprentice, so to speak, for a long time. So he was significantly younger than Moses. But Moses here comes to the end of his life. And obviously, if you know anything about Moses, I love this man. I, I relate to him a lot. Um, he was an orphan. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He was actually abandoned and left in a river in a basket. He's murdered somebody. He was impulsive. He was passionate. He had to lead a couple million people through the wilderness. I mean, he, he was none other. He was a friend of God. He spoke with God face to face through the burning bush. I mean, Moses had quite a track record. He was a servant of the Lord, and that's an incredible attribute. And Joshua learned under Moses' leadership. That's who Joshua's mentor was, if I can use that phrase. So here we're coming to the end of Moses' life and the beginning of Joshua entering the scene. Deuteronomy 34 um, says, Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is the opposite of Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land. Y'all remember at the retreat, we talked about entering the land, right? And taking possession of the land. And here, that, that land, that promised land, is this idea of Canaan, an actual place. And when we talked about it now in New Testament Christianity and at the retreat, the land is a, is a posture. It's a place in our spirit. It's a, a state of being. It's the promised land. It's the place of freedom. It's the place of rest, the rest of God. So here, he's actually describing the territory boundaries of Canaan, and he's showing them to Moses. And so he listed Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea, the Negev, which is a desert, the plain, the valley of Jericho, all of that. Verse 4 in Deuteronomy chapter 34, the Lord says to Moses, This is the land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I'm going to give it to you. It's not an if, I'm going to give it to you. I have let you, Moses, see it with your eyes. But you will not go over there. You're not going to enter the promised land. The servant of the Lord isn't going to enter the promised land. Okay, whoa. 
So, verse 5, Moses, there it is again, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, otherwise known as according to the plan that God set. Nothing was a mistake about it. Moses was never intended to lead those people into the promised land. The son was, not the servant. So keep on reading. Verse 6, I love this part of Moses' history. He, capital H, God buried Moses. It's the only person I know of in Scripture that God personally buried. He was that close to him. He buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite of Beth Peor, and no man knows his burial place to this day. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. Meaning he didn't die of old age. It wasn't like he was exhausted and it, his time was up. It was that his purpose has been, had been fulfilled. And fully in his prime, the Lord said, you're done. I'm taking you. You fulfilled the purpose I have for you, which was to lead your people through the wilderness. But you were not the one to lead them to the promise. And I'm going to bury you myself. So the sons of Israel wept. He was their leader for 40 years. For Moses in the plains of Moab, 30 days. Then the days of the weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. That's kind of a little insertion of Joshua here. It's kind of a special verse. Then he goes back in verse 10 to just kind of re recite all that Moses had experienced. Since then, no prophet in Israel has risen like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. All the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform. Remember the plagues. Moses did all that. In the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all of his servants, all of his land, all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of Israel. So he was commended. Service isn't bad. Service is part of our journey with the Lord. But there is an emphasis to sonship here that I don't want you to miss. And I think as women, it's easy, especially at the beginning of a new year, when you want to kind of pull up yourself by the bootstraps and get ready to like charge the year in your own effort. It's easy to, to get lost in the idea of service and even making it an aim to maybe serve the Lord more this year. And again, it isn't a bad thing, but if it's missed out of empty thing. So not bad, but empty. Um, so Joshua, the son of Nun, so we need to hear a little bit about Joshua, right? So flip over to Exodus 17. This is actually the first time that Joshua is mentioned. Exodus 17. Verse 9. Um, okay, so this is kind of the beginning. They're complaining again. The Israelites is kind of what they do a ton. Um, the very beginning of the chapter of Exodus 17, they're, they're quarreling with Moses, it says in verse 2, give us water, we're thirsty. Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test me? I mean, this is like on record, on repeat for poor Moses all the time with these people, right? And then there's battles and battles and battles. And all of a sudden, verse 9, Moses says to this Joshua, and there's no son of none here. It's just Joshua. It's the first time he's mentioned. Choose men for us. And go out and fight against Amalek, who was the particular army at that point that was giving the Israelites problems. A lot of people gave them problems. Tomorrow, I will station myself at the top of the hill and the staff of God with my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him. He was very obedient. And he fought against Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he held his hand down, Amalek prevailed. So Aaron's purpose, right, was to hold Moses' hands up. Hello, you're gonna, they're going to get tired. 
So Aaron is literally holding Moses' hands up the whole time to keep them winning, and Joshua's on the ground fighting that very battle. So fast forward, keep going. That's the first time that he's mentioned. Now turn over to Exodus 33, just a few chapters over. Joshua's obviously a warrior. He's prepared. He's in the army. He's his aide of Moses. He's learning. He's a little younger. But we see something interesting about his character, and I think potentially where he got his son of none title. In Exodus 33, it's a really sweet little verse. Um, we, this is the part where, let's start in, um, let's start in verse 7. Moses used to take the tent, the tent of meeting, and pitch it outside the camp. Y'all remember there's about 2 million Israelites in this camp. It's not like Snow Mountain campground. This is like massive quarter of Atlanta's size of people. But he would take this tent and he would pitch it outside the camp, away from everybody, a good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting because it came about that everyone who sought the Lord would go to that tent of meeting outside the camp. Went out to the tent. All the people would arise and stand, all millions of them would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his own tent, and gaze after Moses who entered the tent. Verse 10, when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, I mean, I can only imagine the glory and the massive craziness of seeing a cloud just envelop a tent. All the people would arise and worship, each at his own tent. Nobody moved from their tent but Moses, except verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. But when Moses returned to the camp, his servant, Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, would not depart. From the tent. Joshua lingered in the presence of God in the tent. He didn't even stay at his own tent. He was the servant of Moses. He was the aide of Moses. But there was this idea of sonship birthing in Joshua. I want to linger in the presence of the Father. I want to be in the presence of him. Cloud by day, pillar by night. And he would linger there. And as I kind of looked at these two men and I thought about this year, I just felt the Lord kind of asking me a question that I want to ask you. It was like he said, Sarah, what if you spent more time lingering in my presence this year than pining away in your service? What if you actually lingered? Like everybody would come and they would do their thing and they would serve the Lord and they would talk to him. And Moses had God's attention and it was this face-to-face friendship and that's amazing. But Moses had to lead people, right? He had, to, he had to get a lot of things done and that was through the power of the Lord. And that's part of our lives. But I think the other part of our lives that we're missing is this Joshua spirit. A Joshua spirit to linger, to linger a little longer. And it's like, man, what, what if, Lord, can you, can you shift my perspective a little bit? Yes, there's things to accomplish. Yes, there's things to experience and do this year. And there's desires and dreams I have personally and for Establish Her. But God, I want that to come out of a place of lingering with you and being with the Father and knowing what the Father's heart is and what he's up to. And then I head out with a mission, not with a plan that I've made but with this God lingered long enough to hear it, right? So, man, if we could be these women that have a Joshua heart, not just a Moses life, and a Moses life is a really good one. It's full, it's busy, it's active, it's service-oriented, it's for the Lord, it's, it's even through the Lord, I would say. But if we could have a Joshua heart, our Moses life would be that much better. You see, sonship informs service, not the other way around. Service that's full and fruitful and productive comes from sonship. It comes from understanding who I am in him and who he is in me and just beholding him, just looking at him, 
just staying in him, in his, in his presence. And so just really quick, I just wrote down five thoughts that I had of what it means to linger in the presence of the Lord. And these are just things that I personally do. There's, these are things that just kind of came to my mind pretty quickly of what it means to just linger in the presence of the Lord. For Joshua, it was a place. It was actually a tent. There was actually a visible, glorious cloud. So he was enveloped, okay? So how, how do we have that? So I wrote down five things. <laughs> to linger in the presence of the Lord is to be in awe of his glory, to be enjoying his love, to be in gratitude for his purposes, to be in tune to his voice, and to be in faith for his promise to linger, just to stay in the presence of the Lord, to think on him, to behold him, to just relish him, is to do those things, is to be in awe of his glory. Can you imagine the awe and the glory that Joshua would would see with this massive cloud? We may not see that today, but y'all realize we have something that Moses did not have, Joshua did not have, Abraham did not have it. We have an indwelling presence. We have an indwelling, enveloping presence. The cloud and the fire live in here. That is, that's kind of crazy. And so to be in awe of that, to be in awe of his glory, just who he is. I'm so grateful for passion and for our church that puts our eyes on the glory of God. Just reminds us of how big he is, how worthy he is of praise and worship, that he created everything we see, that he's bigger than we think. That's what it is to linger in his presence, just to, just to be reminded of, man, you are glorious. You are glorious. And that is worthy of me just to be in awe of you. It's not even really worthy of words. I don't even think Joshua spoke. I think he just, he just sat and lingered and enjoyed, which is that next one, of enjoying his love. Just enjoy his love. And a son that lingers in the presence of God, a daughter that lingers in the presence of God is enjoying his love for her more than she's getting accolades of her love for him. Right? That's a whole mind shift. To linger in the presence of God is not to recite to yourself all that you've done for him and all the ways that you love him. Presence as a son and a daughter is to enjoy his love for you. And to recite in your mind how much he loves you, all that he's done for you, that will just send you to the roof and fill up your cup like nothing else. Which I think leads to the next one, which is gratitude. To be in gratitude, just absolute sheer thankfulness. You know, when we recite what we do for the Lord, it doesn't really lead to gratitude. It leads to potentially a sense of pride, maybe, accomplishment. I can add to that. I can, I can add to that, Lord. I, I've brought this to you. I've brought sacrifices to you. I've done this for you. That isn't quite the lingering spirit of the Joshua heart. The Joshua heart, the son, says, man, I just, I'm just grateful that your purpose set before time was to put your love on me. Was to you come to pursue me, not me to pursue you. I am so grateful that your purposes never fail, that you are the one who's the initiator, I'm the responder, I'm just called to receive. Like, wow, wow. And then to be in tune to his voice, I think he speaks to you in that place. God speaks all the time. He speaks in whispers. He speaks in earthquakes. We see that all throughout the scripture. I know he's spoken to you in your own little way. He speaks obviously mainly through his word. But if, you, if we hasten our lingering and we parenthesis our lingering to a quiet time, right, and we put God on a schedule, we may not be fully in tune with his voice as much as we could be. It's like this, this whole leaning in and this, this idea of, Lord, I'm not in a hurry. You're not in a hurry. 
God's resting, right? He is not in a hurry. He is calm. He is collected. He is enjoying. He is applauding you. He is ravished by your beauty, as it says in Song of Solomon. He's just taken with you. Why are we not just taken with him? Just in awe of him. And really in tune to his voice in that place. And it's funny because sometimes the Lord, at least for me, you know, it's, it's, I mean, a day is as a thousand years, right? And a thousand years is a day of the Lord. He can accomplish a lot with one word. He said, let there be light, and there was light in the entire earth. He doesn't have to say a lot to get a lot done. And so there's times where this lingering is, is a mindset to where you are so, that it's not this, this trying of, I, want, I need to hear the Lord, and I need to write all these pages in my journal, and I just need to, it's not really like that as much as it is, Father, I just, I am not ever leaving your presence. I'm just taken with you all the time. And I'm taken with you being taken with me. And in that place, I'm going to hear you. And you're going to tell me where to go. It says you'll hear his voice behind you saying, this is the way. This is the way. Walk in it. Turn left. Turn right. Sarah, keep going straight. Take that job. Say no to that. Meet with her. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. And you'll, you will serve him, ironically, out of that place of hearing him when you're lingering in his presence. But that's kind of where I think we get a little hasty. And we want to so eagerly serve the Lord, but we haven't lingered in his presence long enough to know, Sarah, I haven't, I haven't told you what I, I, I don't, I haven't guided you yet. Like, shh, stay with me. Look to me. Let me love on you. And I will give you purpose, direction, the next steps, the service, the action, out of that place of sonship. And then, of course, all these things, you know what they really do? They skyrocket your faith. Your belief lifts the roof of wherever you are. That his promises, his presence, his reality is so real. I mean, being in the arena with, you know, 26,000 people, 40,000 people, you know, collaborative between three arenas, it just, it just makes you just get this swell up in your spirit of faith that his promises are true, that his presence is real, that his glory is to, is to be praised and that he's accessible to us why would we not linger in that like that's amazing and we we feel the pressure of the world and we feel so much that we have to do and he has given us assignments he has given us purpose and direction but it is a byproduct of the sonship and living in his in his presence that makes sense um so joshua was appointed to lead the people into inheritance, not Moses. A son gains inheritance, not the servant. Our inheritance, what is our inheritance? Y'all, we have, I mean, you know, there's what trust funds and all these kind of wealthy rich people that have inheritances, right? And I've never really understood that, what it means in the financial realm, but in the spiritual realm, each of you that are in Christ, you realize that you have an inheritance waiting for you. Massive, like huge, bigger than any amount of money you could ever. Inheritance in Christ. All the spiritual blessings and the gifts in Christ are ours. We're going to be an heir to that. Like a royalty would be in England. Prince William, Prince Harry are heirs of the throne, right? We are heirs to the throne. There is an inheritance that we have, but a son enters into that, not a servant. An heir is a child, right? They, they don't give their inheritance to their slaves, to the servants. We see that throughout scripture. Y'all have heard me teach on 1 Samuel 9, one of my favorite passages with Mephibosheth and Ziba. Mephibosheth was a son, he was lame, he was awkward, he was battered, he was bruised, but Ziba was the one who was the servant who thought, I'm close to the king and I'm going to get the inheritance. And the king said, no way. It's going to him. He's the son, or actually the grandson of Jonathan. And that's who I want to show kindness to because he's a son. And I'm going to invite the son to become an heir and sit at my table without working for it. The son gains inheritance. And Joshua, the son of Nun, 
led the people as his assignment into the promised land, into the inheritance, not Moses, the servant of the Lord. So I wrote down five things that are kind of differences between sons and servants, and we're going to look at a few verses in each of these five things. The first one I wrote down is that a son dwells on receiving. A servant dwells on achieving. A son receives an inheritance. You realize you can't work for an inheritance. You cannot achieve it. You cannot earn it. There is nothing you can do. It is just based on whose, whose kid you are, basically, if you get that inheritance or not. That is exactly the truth spiritually. We are truly his kids. We are his daughters, his sons. And he's going, I have an entire inheritance for you, but you cannot earn it. I do not want your sacrifices and your burnt offerings. I want a relationship with you. I want your heart. I want you to linger with me because I want to linger with you. And out of that place, we will accomplish much. We will bear much fruit. We will change the world. But service as a byproduct of sonship is really the only way for that to be successful, not the other way around. So Joshua 1, kind of 1 through 9, is um, where we're going to kind of look at that. So turn back to Joshua 1, and we'll unpack some of these things here. So I'm just going to read out loud Joshua 1, 1 through 9, and we're going to unpack them in a minute. It came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Cross the Jordan, you and all these people, to the land which I'm giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Not the servants of Israel, the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. Just as I spoke to Moses, from the wilderness to Lebanon, remember back in Deuteronomy 34, all those places, he's, re, he's reciting it here. Even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. What a promise. Just as I have been with Moses, I, have, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous for you will give this people the possession of the land, you, Joshua, which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only just be strong and be, create, be courageous. Be careful to do according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of law, it's talking about the scripture, the Pentateuch, the first five books probably. It's all he had. This law shall not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate on it. Don't you think that's interesting? Don't you think Joshua went back in his mind to lingering the presence? Oh yeah, Father, I've been doing that. I will not depart from your word. I will not depart from what I've known because I've been doing it. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For, when, for then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Those are words to a son, not to a servant. And notice he isn't telling him to go and conquer the land. He's telling him, you're going to lead people into the land. I'm just going to give it to you. All I want you to do is to be strong and linger with me. Meditate on me. Do not get one step ahead of me. Don't think you know how to better serve me than what I tell you to do. You just stay on me. And I will give you, I'm going to give you the land. You don't even have to fight for it. I will give it to you if you will but give you to me. That's the words to a son. 
So I'm going to unpack that here at the end with a couple of phrases that I feel like the Lord kind of kind of gave me. But working through this five real quick, there's a couple other ones I want to say. That a son dwells on receiving, a servant dwells on, re- on achieving. A son wants relationship, a servant works for reward. A son wants relationship, a servant works for reward. Do you find in your own walk with the Lord that you would rather him reward you than just be relational with you? I want what his hand's going to give me. I want the husband or I want the story. I want the ministry. I just, God, I want what you want for me. And he's going, what if I want, what if what I want for you is me? Right? Sarah, what if what I want for you is me? Do you want a relationship with me or do you want a reward from me? A servant wants a reward. A son wants a dad. He just wants a relationship with a father. Um, I'm looking for Hosea. Hosea 6, 6. Talks a little bit about this idea here. Hosea 6, 6. I love this, y'all, so powerful. This is the father talking. I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. Other words put, I delight in relationship more than I do your service. I do not care about your sacrifices. I want your loyalty. I want your lingering. I want your relationship with me, Sarah. I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You know what that basically means? We've talked about this so many times in Establisher, but it's so good you have to say it again. You, you understand that the knowledge of God is not an informational knowing. It is an intimate sexual term. It's Adam and Eve. It's a laid bare knowing. That's that word in Hebrew. That's pretty massive. I want you, Sarah, as your father to know me intimately more than I want your religion more than I want your burnt offerings, more than I want your lip service. I don't want your lip service. I want your heart laid open for me because my heart was way laid open for you. And still crimson, I mean, massive for me. He wants me to be laid bare for him. Not to take, but to give to me. And I love that. I love this picture that the Lord is, is inviting us to sonship, not to service. He's inviting us to a relationship, not to just run on a rat wheel of getting reward. Oh, you did a good job, so here you go. Now go do some more. Up that. Raise the ante. Do it better. I got, I got better rewards for you. Does that make sense? But if we, if we don't know the character of God, then we won't really be f- sure of who we are. And the, the more we're confused on his character and the more we see him as he's reward-driven, then guess what your life's going to look like? It's going to be very reward-driven. Your identity's going to be confused. It's going to be split personality, kind of. And you'll understand informationally who God is. He's love and he's good and he's kind and da-da-da-da because we know better. But experientially, you are on the, the plane of servant with him. And in that mindset, it's like he expects of me. He's master. So he, I better, because if I don't, I'm going to get fired, you know. That's a servant mentality, not a son. And this year, 2016, my heart for myself, my heart for you, is a shift. A supernatural shift only the Spirit of God can do. And maybe he's already done it for you. Of I want to be sonship driven, sonship aware, more than I am service aware, relationally driven, more than I am reward. What if we could parent like that? If you have young ones, what if you talk to your friends, your coworkers like that, to where you're not on this plane of what are you going to do for me and what do you expect me to do for you? Because we take that vertically and it screws up everything. Versus being relationally driven. That's powerful. Change your life. Hosea 6.6. 6. Number three, sons are more focused on promises. Servants are more focused on production. I'm not going to read the story. Y'all know it. It's Genesis chapter 21. Sarah, it's who I'm named after. I know 
this inside and out. And it's funny, but she has a transformation because beforehand, before she has God confront her, her name was without an H. And in Hebrew, Sarah without an H literally means nag. And if you read that story, she was nagging Abraham for a baby and getting frustrated at God that he wasn't producing. So what does she do? She comes up with her own plan. Forget you. Forget patience. I can do this a little bit better. I've got a, a handmaiden. She's young. I'm going to produce this kid. And so Ishmael was born. And Ishmael is a product of production of Sarah's plan. That was her, in her effort, and if you read the story, there's, there was definitely some sin in her and some frustration in her, but there was also some eagerness and some innocence to produce the child of promise. She really did want that, but she went about it in her own way. She stepped out of her identity as a protected, cared for, God's got in control daughter and said, I'm going to make it happen because he needs my help. So I'm going to produce an Ishmael. And even in my own life, I have to be very careful of producing Ishmael's. Be careful of producing Ishmael's in your life. Because to this day, Ishmael is the father of the Arab nation. And they have been on the heels of Isaac, the father of the Israeli nation, ever since. All that's from Sarah. It's pretty powerful. So a servant is driven for production, and a son is walking in promise. Isaac was the child of promise, and he came. Oh, he came. God brings his word every time. His word never returns void. It always comes back doing what it was set out to do. And he told Sarah, and in fact, he told her again. He said, a year from today, you will, you will have a son. You're not going to help gain a son. You are going to birth a son. And Sarah laughed. She was like, there's no way. She laughed in mockery. And a year to that date, if you keep on reading in that chapter, it's really Genesis 16 through 21. She laughs again when she births Isaac. And it's more of this sense of, you were right. You were right. And if only I had just lived in that place of I'm your daughter, you're a father of promise, and you've never broken one since. You do not need my help. I will wait. If only I had done that. And yet his grace and his mercy says it's okay. My promises still come, come through. I still prevail. Your little plans can't thwart my plans. It's okay. And he redeems all things. But a son's focus, a daughter's focus is on promise more than it is production. Pretty powerful story if you have time to read that. Walk in his promise over you, not your production for him. Bottom line. Walk in his promises over you, not your production for him. It'll change everything. Number four, servants are full of fear and needing to perform for the father. Sons are free of fear, knowing they already please the father. If you base your Christianity on service, and that is your kind of relationship with the Lord and your soul identity, you will be exhausted and you will constantly be performing to be pleasing. And if it's that way with God, I guarantee you it will be that way on every horizontal relationship you have. Because your vertical understanding manifests horizontally. It's just the truth. So if you flip that around then, and if we understand who we are in Christ this year in a way that we never have before, if we actually let it permeate that we are a daughter of God, a son of God, just a, a child of the Lord, then I think this idea of chasing after pleasing him will shift to celebrating that you already are. You already are. You are pleasing him because what he sees on you is that poured out blood of his son, who he said in Matthew 17, 5, this is my son. Y'all remember this? He's introducing Jesus. This is my son. He does not say this is my servant. And Jesus was a servant of the Father for sure. He did everything the Father told him to do. That would have been a great place to say he was a servant. But the Father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You know what's interesting about this word, well pleased? I did not know it meant this. Eudokeo in the Greek. Eudokeo. Full of pleasurable thoughts. A thought of good 
towards the being of someone else, eyes of favor, and this, this last one got me. It actually used this word, resolved with good will. Resolve with goodwill, y'all. That's what it means to be well pleasing to the Father. He says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is my daughter in whom my thoughts about her are entirely pleasurable. He is not thinking, You must please me. He is thinking, Oh, would you stop? Because you already are. His thoughts are good towards you. He is resolved with good will towards us. He's not uncertain. He's not changing his mind every day going, okay, I was good to her yesterday, but based on her behavior, I may retract that today. He doesn't do that. We do that. Right? We pull back. If someone hurt us, man, we, we retract and we hurt them. They weren't good to us. I'm not going to be good to you. We do it with ourselves. We do it in food, Right? We overdo, so I'm going to pull back and I'm going to like starve myself. I did bad yesterday. Well, I mean, whatever the mentality is, and it's, you know, it's kind of funny, but there's, there's a spiritual truth to it too. And I think the Lord is just breathing in tonight and he's saying, I am resolved about how I view you. Could my resolve about how I view you be enough to make you resolved? Could his resolve, the fact that God of the world is not shifting his mind about us, could not be the, um, the reason enough to make me resolved about who I am? That should just settle it for me. If God knows who I am and I am pleased with me and his thoughts about me are all the time just pleasuring and he's amazed, he's, he's applauding, he's intimately acquainted with all of my ways, as Psalm says, if that's enough and he's resolved about that, why in the world am I confused about who I am? Why am I so shifty and unresolved and I don't know who I am. I don't know what I think and I don't know if they think this about me. Or, who cares? The God of the world is resolved about you. That should give you resolve about you. Yeah, amen? So 1 John 4, 8. I'll turn there real quick. 1 John 4, 8. This is a picture of resolve. You want to know what resolve is? This is it right here. 1 John 4, 8. Y'all know this verse? And I'm going to start a little bit ahead of it. Verse 4, you are from God, little children. You are from God, little children, 1 John 4, 4, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We, verse 6, are from God. We're his little ones. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to you. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God. That includes yourself. For the one who does not love, if you do not love you, then you do not know him. Because his resolve about you is full on love. Verse 9, by this, the love of God was manifested in us, not to in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son, not his servant, to be the propitiation the price for our sins. So beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And skip down to verse 18. There is no fear in love, 
perfect love cast out fear. Fear involves punishment. A servant, servant talk. Servants fear punishment. Slaves fear punishment. They're scared. They're full of fear, right? Remember, a slave is full of fear, needing to please and scared of punishment. A son is free of fear because he's been perfected by love. Not his love for the father, but the father's love for him. We love because he first loved us, verse 19. Incredible. Verse 5. A son is an heir, like we said before, and a servant is a hire. If you flip I and E and R in those words, from heir, you can get higher. And y'all remember the Luke 15 story of the prodigal son? He was not the prodigal servant. He was the prodigal son. But he actually began to attach himself to the identity of a slave. He squandered his, his father's inheritance. He actually got his inheritance. He asked for it ahead of time. Father gave it to him, and he squandered it, and he attached his identity to that of a slave, and it happened to be a pig slave. He was on a field where they fed pigs, and he's now living in that place. He went from a son to a slave. He went from an heir to a hire, and just his mentality, and then it happened in his life. And so I just real quick, there's this one verse here in Luke 15 that's gripped me. I've heard this story so many different times, but never from, from the idea of a, of a servant versus a son, master versus Abba. Luke 15. Um, Verse 13 says, not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, his inheritance. He went out on a journey to a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, his inheritance was gone. A severe famine occurred in the land, and he began to be in need. It's powerful. Verse 15, he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country. Y'all, I've never seen that really word before. This line, Luke 15, 15, is where I to believe the lie that he was nothing more than a slave to the country, than the slave to the world he was living in, and eventually he became a slave to the pigs. He attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he, that person he attached himself to, sent him to the fields to feed the swine. Yeah. There you go. He went from heir to hire. He became an er- he began a wage earner when he went from having all the wages, and it was a mental shift and a belief about who he was that then translated into what he did. What you believe is what you will do. Hands down, right? So, verse sixteen. He was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. When he came to his senses, I love that, verse 17, when he came to his senses, this is sonship talking now. He's he's being reminded, wait, I I am my dad, my father, the farm, the land, what we own, who I am. He's coming to his senses in the middle of the pig's eye. And he says this, how many of my father's hires have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? Verse 18, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Verse 19 is huge. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. I love his, I love that we get an insight into his mental process because what he's doing is he's bouncing from truth to lie to truth to lie. 
He's a son, but he's living as a slave. He knows he's an heir. He had an inheritance, but he's a hired worker. And he's having this tension. And yet he, he knows that my worth isn't attached to my inheritance, but I'm living in the pigsty and, and I don't feel like I'm, I'm worthy of more than this. I mean, my dad's slaves are eating better than I am. And he's having this tension between being an heir and being this higher. And when he goes in, he says, he came to his senses. It's like the Lord, I think, sometimes can wake us up and say, listen, worth has nothing to do with being a son or being a slave. You cannot earn your sonship. You cannot lose your sonship. There's nothing to do with what you've earned. It's the worth that God has placed on you. It has nothing to do about the son. It was all, all the whole time about who his father was. Who his father was is how he got his inheritance. Who his father was is who he went back to. But in his mind, y'all, he kept thinking, I'm going to grovel back because I've lost my sonship based on what I've done. And we know the story. While he was still a far way off, verse 20, he was still running. He wasn't even close yet. His father saw him, felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him. The son couldn't even make it to the house. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. He's reciting what he was practicing. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, as if he had earned being a son in the first place. Verse 22. And the father said to his slaves, distinction, father said to his hirees, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Clothe him. Bring the fattest calf. Kill it and let's eat and be merry because, verse 24, this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. How powerful is that? that in our minds we can start to believe, which causes death, that we are nothing more than a slave and that we're just owed the crumbs of the Father's palace based on what we've done. And the Father's saying, your, your sonship was never earned by you. Your sonship can't be lost by you. Your sonship is based on who I am. You think on who I am. Don't think on who you are or what you've done. You think on who I am. And I'm going to throw the greatest part you've ever seen. Because the more you think on who he is, the more you'll know who you are. And death will turn to life. And this idea of slavery and service and I need to work my way back and i got to earn it, y'all, that just goes away. It's not in the mind of a son. That's servant talk. That's hiree talk, not heir. Powerful, powerful chapter of scripture. Galatians 4, 6 repeats this. Roman again, that we have been given the privilege to call the master Abba. We've been given the privilege to call him Abba, not master. But that's only a privilege if you take it. It's the invitation, right? It's like the RSVP. You've got to say yes. The invitation's out there. Will you just be content to be my daughter, to be my son? Will you let me love on you? Or will you just keep thinking this slave-servant mentality and exhaust yourself and wear yourself out needlessly because the inheritance is yours, your identity is secure, my thoughts on you are secure, your thoughts on you are psycho. But if you think on my thoughts on you, I will level you. I will calm you. I will make your thoughts good about you, truthful about you. And so as this new year begins, I just kept thinking, especially even just watching, you know, 40,000 people live stream and in, in conference. I mean, college, right? I mean, you're like trying to make who you are in those years. And it's like you think you get past that. Like you think you, you get out of college and you get your job and you get your, you know, married. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I know who I am now. And there are adults that don't know who they are. 
And there were adults in that arena that didn't know who they are. And I couldn't help just to burst into tears, worshiping the Lord, because I, it was like I was saying, Lord, I know who I am because I know who you are. I'm just focusing on who you are. And the more I focus on you, who you are, you tell me who I am. And the more you tell me who I am, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. I know I'm not a servant. I know I'm not this little piddly slave hiree. I know I'm a son. It doesn't produce entitlement, y'all. It produces this humility and this awe of being a daughter when you really get that. And it just, it just broke me in half. And I just was like, Lord, there are thousands of people in this place, in this city, maybe even in this room, that are wrestling with who they are because they're wrestling with who you are. They don't know the father. They don't know that he's a good, good father. And that his thoughts on them are, are well-pleasing. That he loves you. That he wants you to be a son and not a slave. And if we could just but for a minute linger in that reality, I think it would change a lot. And I think this idea of resolutions and trying to do X, Y, Z, whatever your resolutions are, would be fueled with a greater sense of resolve if you know who. If you know who you are and whose you are, the service out of your life, which will happen, it's, I mean, it's like a byproduct. I mean, when you are face-to-face with him, man, he will leverage you. It's amazing. But it's, it's not the first thing. To be a servant of the Lord is a compliment. But that's not my identity. I'm a daughter of the Lord. That is really where I get my worth. It's got to be where you get your worth. It can't be what we do or what we work on, even if it's him and good things, where we get our worth from. It's exhausting. Um, so just for the next few minutes, I just I kind of want to end, and I want to be quiet and let the Lord just, in a good, good father way, speak to you and hush you where you're trying to work for him and remove from you slavery and replace it with sonship. And so I'm just going to play one song and just let y'all soak, soak in your sonship and just linger in the sanctuary a little bit um, and let him just kind of speak to you there. <laughs>